Yeah, I definitely feel engulfed by the world around me. But I honestly believe that's within all humanity. I think when it comes down to it, there's a fundamental connection that all animals and all humans share, and that's the world we live in. Um, so when I am face-to-face -face or where I get to witness these incredible animals or trees or flowers, I feel right, if that makes sense. Hi, and welcome to episode 90 of Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. If this is the first time you're listening to the podcast, welcome. I'm Maria Stolger, and here you'll hear from Australian painters about how they got started, what they're doing now, and lots of what's happened in between. Today, I'm thrilled to bring you my conversation with emerging artist Emily Imerson. A true plein air painter, she spent the last two years living a nomadic lifestyle with her partner, travelling around Australia in their beloved troopy four-wheel drive. For a lot of that time, Emily's studio has been the Australian outback, and her easel is often the side of that car, or you could find her painting on a canvas flat on the ground of the Australian desert. Last year, she received the Macquarie Group Emerging Artists Prize. She's had six solo shows and been involved in many more group shows, and she's only 28. But the thing about Emily that struck me when I spoke with her was her total connection with nature and the environment. Like many environmentalists, she's driven to tell the rest of us about what she's experiencing and reminding us that we were always meant to be closely connected with nature. All the works we talk about are on the website talkingwithpainters.com. I spoke with Emily on Zoom and she was in the bush as we were speaking, luckily with good internet reception, and so you might be able to hear the birds in the background. I'll be making a short video soon with some of that Zoom footage in it and you'll be able to find that on my YouTube channel. I started by asking Emily what her life has been like in the last two years since she embarked on her travels around Australia. So for the past two years, I've been basically living in a car and working from this car. Um, I've been traveling Australia with my partner and we left in 2018 in June and we went from northern New South Wales straight north to northern Queensland. So we just continued to travel what, for the period of two whole years. We went to a lot of places and we've just continued to live this nomadic life in a car. So your home is northern, isn't it northern rivers in New South Wales, northern New South Wales? Yeah, exactly. So it's just outside of um, the main city, Lismore. It's not really that big a city, but <laughs> <laughs> it's labelled a city anyway. Um, so we're based up towards the Queensland border and it's a beautiful piece of paradise but we just decided to buy a car and live in it and travel around. And, and you call your car the Troopy. Well, it yes. is a Troopy. Yeah. I had to look it up, but I yeah. think that is a word that people use. <laughs> is that the name of the brand or like the make of the car, isn't it? Toyota Troop. Yeah, so Trooper. it's a Toyota Troop carrier. Oh, okay. And, and the nickname for it is the Troopy, I guess, as just a great group of enthusiasts that idolise the car and have decided to collectively call it the Troopy and it does get stuck in your head as a great nickname. Do you find if you, fit and you meet somebody else who's got a Troopy you have an instant connection? Yes. <laughs> it is. It's a very sweet thing. There's, there's also a hand wave, a kind of hello signal that you get when you pass different Troop carrier owners on the road. So if you have a similar car you're automatically great mates and you would do anything for this person apparently. So it's been really helpful in the middle of nowhere when you've got issues with your car or, you know, you're on the side of the road, anyone will pull over. But generally it'll be another troop carrier <laughs> and they'll get out the tools that you don't have and it's just this teamwork of help. It's Yeah, it's really sweet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's basically a four-wheel drive, isn't it, that's got... it's. Can you describe it for yeah, me? Yeah, it's, so it's a, it's a four-wheel drive and it's 
registered, I think it's a 11-seater. So in the back, they've got these long bench seats, generally that seat eight. And then in the front, it's a three, it's a bench seat. So you can seat three people in the front. And we took out the back seats and put a bed in there and a kitchen and a lounge room and a dining room. <laughs> well, you seriously have got like a little kitchenette in there as well. Yeah, it's just very basic. It's literally a a shelf that we fold down from the back door and that's where we can put our gas top cooker. And then the drawers, one drawer has got our pantry in it and the other drawer has kitchen utensils and recovery gear and other sneaky storage things. And I take it, you obviously can't stand up in it. It's not like a caravan. You can't stand up in it. You have to sort of crawl into it, I presume. Yeah, there's no standing up. You can comfortably sit in bed if you want to sit up and read. Um, there's not much space between your head and the roof at that point though so a lot of people my parents for example saw our setup before we left and said how are you going to get into that and I said you know we're not old yet we don't have broken hips or so <laughs> we're, we're still quite malleable and yeah it's a it's a small space. Well actually talking about that I mean now what is it like when you get back and you sort of have to live in a house? Or how does that feel? Oh, I'm incredibly overwhelmed. Uh, I really love the whole living outside. The only time in the past two years when I was inside was when I was sleeping. Every other moment we spent outside cooking, all day outside and so being in a home in, with a roof over my head is definitely overwhelming. I notice a lot of things inside, you know, not necessarily clutter, but I guess for two years I've just been surrounded by trees and now there's homely things that you've collected over your lifetime and there's, there's just a lot of yeah. stuff that I've begun to notice. Um, in saying that, I do, I do spend a lot of time outside. I've went straight to working on my veggie garden and developing a composting system and <laughs> that's probably what I missed most about living in a car, not being able to have fresh veggies or herbs and greens. So that's what I went straight to doing. So tell me a bit about the places you've been to because you've been, so you were saying that you were going, you went first up to Northern Queensland um, and you've since been to more sort of deserty type of places, haven't you? So you've seen a lot of different landscapes. Oh yeah. Like, what would you would you say there was any that really st sticks with you that was the most um, impactful? Wow, that's it's a big question, and I I could find something a huge impact from each specific area. Um, there's it's such a unique country with such diversity that I'm drawn to so it's very difficult for me to say this was my favorite place or I love this place but I mean if I was to think about it in regards of my painting it's the arid areas of Australia that really captivate me and give me this great rush and desire to start painting so most recently up in the northeast corner of South Australia and then where it meets Victoria. So up in that really arid, dry, harsh environment, there's these, these beautiful creations of life happening still. I mean, you've still got Murray, the Murray-Darling River system going through it and life just continues to thrive, but you just have to spend a little bit more time to discover it, I guess. And I guess the arid areas, they provide a little bit of peace because they're not intensely packed in. There is space and, and I personally get quite overwhelmed very quickly with choosing what even to paint, what tree I want to focus on or what colour. So in the arid areas, it's almost half the work is done for me. It's, it's just a moment... A, yeah, it's just a moment you've got to sit down and start painting. Well, I find that really interesting because a lot of landscape painters uh, that I've spoken to, um, 
who have painted a lot of landscapes like you have, it's interesting uh, that they often don't want to choose the most obvious sort of view um, that, that might strike you at first. Um, how do you choose... How do you choose, like say you do go to a big open space like that, how do you choose what you're going to focus on? That's a good question. I, I choose it all. Like I was saying, I, I kind of get overwhelmingly inspired and just want to paint it all. So generally that's what I will do. I will just get a piece of paper and I will start drawing and sketching and using quite light acrylics to get down certain marks of everything around me. And then I will generally go back to my journal and try and hone it down and narrow it down, focus on it and see what works compositionally and then put my you know, creative hat on and get critical and, and then decide what I want to take into a larger work. And sometimes that larger work will be directly painted from the landscape or I will paint that large canvas all completely from memory and then sometimes it's a mix of both oh okay would you prefer to be somewhere for a period of days is that the best way to approach that how long would you feel like you need to be somewhere in order to sort of get that to really feel part of that area yeah at, at least a few days I could spend weeks in the one place and be continuously inspired to draw and paint um, it is difficult for me to go to a place and feel like I capture it immediately. Um, so a, a, a fair while, I, I also just love to find a beautiful place set up and stay in that area. And there's constantly new things to be discovered in that one place. Um, in saying that, I have painted a few works from being in the car and as we drive along, I will just make notes in my journal and have this strong image that comes to mind. And then when I get to the final destination, the final camp, I guess, it would, I would focus solely on painting that, that one second that I experienced in the car, whether it was generally it's birds moving across my field of vision that I just haven't discovered it's a new species or it's just this you know phenomenal experience that I want to capture and recreate. Yeah right I mean I, I saw on your Instagram like I think at one point you're saying that there was like a hundred was it corellas or something that flew past and I thought I can't just Im I can't imagine that it must just be absolutely awe-inspiring seeing something like that. Yeah corellas themselves are incredibly loud so <laughs> it it's just this huge amount of noise coming from nowhere. You can't see them yet. And then, bam, it almost blankets out the sun. So that first time I experienced a huge flock of corellas, it was at camp. Um, it wasn't actually moving in the car. Um, an example of being in the car and taking notes and having a visual that I wanted to create as a painting was... I was driving along and there's this massive dust cloud coming from the horizon. I hadn't, we hadn't seen another car for a long time and I thought, I didn't know there was road trains out here. This is not very good roads. It's, it's just not the place for it. And I saw it getting closer and closer. And then after a while, these emus started running across in front of the car, running across the road. And it just continued, 20, 30 emus just continued. And they were kicking up so much dust. They created this entire dust cloud. So that example is something that's stuck in my mind. Well, I remember, I, I, I do remember the, the painting you did with the two emus running and, and causing a dust cloud behind them. Yeah. That's a beautiful yeah. work. Actually, talking about that, has that been quite challenging actually painting animals moving I mean that's one of the things that strikes me that you seem to be able to do that really well if it's a bird or an animal or well from the beginning I wanted to paint perfect picturesque images I wanted it to be detailed and exact and I think as I continue on my journey I want to move away from that purely for my own enjoyment I find it much more enjoyable and exciting to paint 
not so controlled. And having an animal moving, trying to capture that is incredibly difficult so that you have to let go and start to let the paintbrush create the marks that you can't think of, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's those, those happy, uncontrolled marks that you can make that describe exactly what you want to do. So I find the animals in movement help me, I guess, loosen up, lose control, I guess. And there's just so much character in an animal, whether it's staying still, but when they're moving, they're all very unique. And that is something I'm incredibly interested in. Yeah, well, particularly emus, when they, they're making strides like that. It's so, yes. it's so beautiful, you know. I find it quite comical, really, especially <laughs> if, if you are in a car and you ever have the opportunity to witness emus moving in the land, particularly running through the land, and you have music playing, somehow the emus match up with the movement and the sound <laughs> in the car. It's just very comical. It provides a lot of enjoyment for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, you must experience these moments where you are face-to-face with an animal and you must feel like part of the environment with them. Does that is that how it how it is for you? Yeah, I definitely feel engulfed by the world around me. But I honestly believe that's within all humanity. I think when it comes down to it, there's a fundamental connection that all animals and all humans share. And that's the world we live in. Um, So when I am face to face or where I get to witness these incredible animals or trees or flowers, I feel right, if that makes sense. I I just feel like it's it's meant to be experienced. It's, It's the things that we need to acknowledge and, I guess, celebrate. They're incredible feats of beauty. The natural world is full of wonders. Definitely. And I, th- I think what happens is, you know, people who are spend, don't, don't spend any time in nature, you just disconnect from that. Yeah. It's, it's very easy to become absorbed with our fast-paced society. I, you know, you focus on your job and if you live in the city, you know, it's, it's very easy to continue down that path but it's little moments it's nature's everywhere it's those little moments you know you get a lot of beautiful birds in the city it's nature will continually remind us yeah totally well isn't it interesting with this whole coronavirus thing that everybody that's what everyone's focusing on now when can I get to the beach when can I get to the you know national park when can I and it's everyone's going to the park, just even to the park down the road, you know. Every, it's so important to us all at the moment. It's like this need yeah. for us. And it's sort of like until this happened, you sort of didn't realise how important it was, I you know. know. It's, it's like humanity has forgotten what, what they are. Uh, it's, it's so fundamental for us. It's, it, it comes all the way through evolution with us, this connection with nature. And... It does sometimes take a huge event for us to remind or recognise the things that we're lacking in our lives. Um, and I, I, pers- I have such strong feelings towards the environment and I continuously take myself out into the environment purely because of the way it makes me feel. It creates calmness and ecstasy. It, it's just... It's the place I'm, I feel I'm meant to be. And I think, there's, I think that's, that's a thread that runs through all humans. It's definitely, it's definitely there for everyone. Mm, definitely. And where were you when the bushfires were happening you know, a few weeks ago? It feels like oh, a year ago, but it was only a few weeks ago. It was ago, like really. forever ago. Um, the first moment I heard about the bushfires, it was like the area I have grown up in had bushfires around and there was some 
good friends and people I know that had incredible communities come together and fight these fires. Um, I was with my partner in the Victorian high country and that, that morning I woke up and I haven't seen snow since I was four and it was snowing at whatever time I woke up, seven o'clock in the morning. And I got out and had my coffee in the snow and later on in the day we had the horrible news that, you know, there's bushfires rampant back in our hometown. Oh, that must have been so weird. Oh, it was, it was incredibly weird. I was, it was so hard to comprehend. Um, it wasn't until you saw the footage and the videos that you could really understand the trauma and the effect. I started painting, I guess it would, would have been in high school. Um, yeah, I began painting and at the time I was painting portraits, portraits of my friends. And what, was anyone in your family artistic? Apparently my great-grandmother painted. I mean, everyone's creative and there was a lot of creativity in our house, but there was no one painting with an easel or drawing. My dad, I remember, would always be, when he was on the phone, he would be making marks on a pen, like on a pad in front of him. Mm. He would always be moving the pencil in a different way or shading a big patch just to see the different tones. And, um, yeah, my father's actually the instigator for me to begin studying art so um, it's quite a funny situation that ended up I ended up at the same university studying as my father oh really so he was in th he was in third year and I with prior learning I went into second year and so he majored in painting I had made majored in painting and the first day of uni I remember <laughs> sitting he knew every, my dad at art school, at uni, he knew everyone, like waving to everyone, high-fiving, all these people. I was thinking, who is my dad? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> and then, and I didn't really know anyone. I was a bit shy. I'm not the most outgoing person when I meet someone first or a large group of people. I'm a little bit intimidated. So I knew dad and I had lunch with dad. I didn't bring any lunch, so he shared half a sandwich, he gave me half of his sandwich, <laughs> introduced me to all his friends in third year and yeah, it was, it was a great first day. So let's jump forward. I want to talk about your brilliant solo show that was at St. Cloche um, in Sydney called Take Me There. And I got to it, thank goodness, just before uh, lockdown started. And uh, in fact, you were really, actually, you were pretty lucky, weren't you? Because you had only four days to go. Yeah, I, I didn't know what was happening. I'd gone to Sydney for the opening and spent a bit of time. And then all of a sudden, the city had gone into turmoil. I hadn't spent much time in the cities, you know, the high density of people and all these people talking about corona this, corona that. I, I was so ignorant to it. And I guess in hindsight, I'm incredibly lucky to have been able to present my body of works to a live audience. I'm very grateful that I was able to have that experience and that personal interaction with an artwork that you don't always get with online. Oh, totally. And um, because I, your, your work really caught my eye online, but when I went and saw it in Paddington, I was totally blown away. It was just so beautiful. Um, and in fact, one of the paintings that I really loved there was, it was Blue Bonnets. And that's one where you've got, well, the subject of the painting are these two birds, which are called Blue Bonnets. It's the name of a, result, uh, a parrot, isn't it? A type of parrot. Yes. Um, and it's a very, very beautiful painting, uh, very sort of... Uh, a sensitive painting in lots of ways. And um, can you tell me a bit about it? Because it's so evocative. It's, it's, it's basically a landscape with like a, 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 a road going through the centre of it on the sort of centre left and then these two birds um, sort of flying in the middle, across the middle part of the, of the canvas. Yeah, so well, Blue Bonnets is getting, it's received so much love from myself, but the audience, I've got has responded very strongly with this painting. Um, 
Bluebonnets is a work I created when I was halfway through a plein air work, a, a large plein air work I had on the side of the car. I was painting these landscape, this specific group of Mali gums, and I was so obsessed with creating all the detail in the plein air work that I became quite not frustrated, but my mind was incredibly cluttered and overwhelmed with inspiration. And I feel that had a strong influence on the work itself. It started becoming quite busy, but not in, not in the right kind of way. So for me to resolve the plein air work, I went back to my journal and looked through my notes. And it was a, it was a group of notes I had taken whilst I was in the car moving through the land. And this moment where these two blue bonnets had flown past the car at the speed of light and you just see this flash of bright blue and red. And I had seen blue bonnets before, so I went straight away said, it's blue bonnets, oh my gosh. <laughs> I love birds, so I'm so easily excited by them. But I hadn't seen them for a while, so, so I, I saw these two birds fly past and had taken the notes down in my journal quickly drawn a very interesting sketch of them. And then when I was struggling with this plain air work, I had gone back to this section of notes. And to clear my mind and find a resolution, I guess, with the plain air work, I began to paint this painting of blue bonnets. And to avoid the clutteredness, I wanted to create an artwork that was full of calmness and clarity. I didn't want it to be I didn't want it to be busy. I wanted, I wanted to clear my mind. So I just began laying down d thin layers of different colored, greeny, browny, blues. Even just the process of mixing those colors was calming and very clearing. So, so it was a process. That painting is a result of the process for me to clear my mind and help resolve another work I guess yeah well I also saw photos of you actually working on that painting that you put on Instagram <laughs> and you, and it's really interesting that you have it sort of flat on the ground and you were almost sitting on it and I think you sort of mentioned in the caption that there, it even has body imprints on it I mean did you make marks with your hands or unintentionally you know I've, sometimes I'd be painting and if it's a large painting and I don't feel like being quite energetic and gestural. I want to be more sensitive and soft. I will get close to the painting and sit with the painting or on the painting. And then all of a sudden I'll stand up to get the distance to see how my composition and colours are working. And then half of my leg is covered in purple. <laughs> and I, I look down and there's this this amazing mark that's created from the contact with the skin and the paint. Um, so a lot of those paintings have ended up with, you know, if it's a fingerprint or uh, there's a few paintings with the just the toes, the top of my toes on the bottom of the painting. And, and sometimes I get covered over, but then sometimes I really try to keep those little moments alive in the paintings. Um, so blue bonnets definitely spent a lot of time with me. I painted it on the ground. Um, so it was the space on the side of the troopy where I would normally put it was taken up by another painting. So this one, I just decided to sit back on the ground and work with it. And then at the end of the day, when the paintings are dry, they get rolled up and the storage is in bed, basically. The storage is in the... <laughs> In, in the back of the car, it started off being the artworks were stored as a roll above my head and then that got too heavy and the, the straps stretched a bit too much. So then they just got rolled up and went on along the edge of my side of the bed. And the paintings for Take Me There are all, you know, they're all incredibly connected with the process of me living in the landscape and also, you know, I've, they slept next to me. Yeah, right. <laughs> They're oh, covered in, in imprints of my body or a leaf or bird poo or, <laughs> yeah. It's all the interesting elements. <laughs>
I want to go uh, to 2019 now because last year you were the winner of the Macquarie Group Emerging Artist Prize. Congratulations. Thank you. And it was a fantastic painting that you um, entered. It was called Alive in the Dead of Night and it was painted in the Kimberley. Um, and the other thing that I, found, that I read about that was that you had entered another painting as well and the winning painting they acquired, but then they bought your other painting as well. So congratulations. I mean, obviously they really, really love your work. It was incredible. It's such a compliment to my practice. I mean, it's incredible that they decided to acquire the work and then to have that added compliment and confidence boost of them acquiring the second piece. I was so happy to share that work. It's a painting with the car in it. So the car has become this home. It's a symbol of you know, safety and comfort and adventure and, and love. It's this great symbol for me. So it, it was a large painting, exactly. almost two metres long. And in my mind, I just thought, oh, I don't have to find somewhere to store it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I really love about those paintings? And you've done a lot of these. They're, they're, night, paint, they're night scenes. So the painting that won was actually a beautiful landscape at night um, with gnarled trunks of trees illuminated in the foreground and then a starry night scene with a curved sort of horizon in the background. And it has an almost mystical quality about it that I really love. Um, can you tell me a bit about these paintings that you do that are night scenes or dusk scenes? I mean, are they ever painted in the evening hours? The, the whole beginning of the journey of these night paintings happened... When I was in the desert and the middle of the day is just too hot to, to think, it's too hot to move. You're sweating and you're sitting down, you wake up at seven o'clock in the morning and it's 30 degrees already. Um, so there's the heat factor, which sometimes I push through, but the main reason I stopped painting in the daytime in the desert was the flies were so insane. They would come to the moisture, they would they would go to my eyeballs, up my nose and in my mouth and then into the paint as well. So it just got really annoying. <laughs> I decided to wait until that perfect moment when the flies go wherever they go and start painting then. And I guess that's the start and it just built from there. I also was quite overwhelmed and a little bit... I was intrigued to try and paint not such saturated colours. The, the desert in the middle of the day is just, it's this intense, beautiful, passionate red or orange and it's, it's just incredibly saturated, naturally saturated. And the sky is just massive but it's this intense, bright sky blue and... I just wanted to try and paint something that wasn't so saturated. And for me, it was that moment when the sun had already disappeared. So the sun had set, but then from dusk onwards, these beautiful, calm and passionate colours start to trickle through the sky. So you've got the, the blues and the greys and the soft pinks. And sometimes you've still got a bit of yellow and orange in the sky. And that transitional period when the colours are changing, they impact the shapes and the forms on the, on the land as well. So then the, the land starts changing colours and the bright, the green spin effects turns to this insane weird blue and you think, well, now we've got blue grass, we've got blue spin effects everywhere. Oh, it must have been an amazing experience. Yeah, it was, it was incredible and... That, that was the beginning of this idea to paint at night. And I, I guess once I started painting at night, there's a challenge of low light. So I was mixing colours that I, I couldn't see because I didn't have a head torch on. I couldn't be bothered to get a torch out, but I just wanted to paint by the natural lights, the low lights, I guess. So then I was mixing these weird colours I'd never thought of. And you can't really always see the canvas or the piece of paper. So you just put 
where you think that a tree should go there, you just end up putting a tree there. And sometimes you overlap that tree purely because of low visibility. So for me, it, it turned into an interesting way to create paintings. And also you don't have as much control, really. Yeah, it's, losing control is, is incredible. It's, it's daunting, but the moment that happens, it's so liberating. So it, the, the entire journey was formative for me in that way that it was about being adaptive and being able to work with the elements I've got and, and let go and lose control, you know. If it starts raining, you've got raindrops in your painting, I, it's impossible to control that and to try and get rid of those raindrops. It's, yeah, it all becomes part of the painting. Yeah, and also it reminded me uh, when you're talking about raining on your painting, I noticed that in your earlier paintings you were using oils, but now you're using acrylics. Is that right? I think you were doing oils earlier on. Yeah, so back before the trip, so two years ago, I was solely using beautiful luscious oil paint and mainly painting on board or canvas. But it was when I had an indoor studio space and I could let things dry for six months that they needed to or I had time and I had cover, but for me to, to start thinking about how to take my arts practice with me, it was, I was always going to keep painting and this trip for me was, you know, I, I can't imagine a day where I don't think about painting or creating or recreating. So I had to think of ways to make it adaptive and malleable to the experience we were undertaking so I had to leave the stiff plywood and stretch canvas idea behind. It, it turned to paper and rolled canvas, so it was able to go into storage in the car. And the ability for acrylics to dry fast within that day, it, it's the only reason why I started painting acrylics. And I actually continued to paint with acrylics since I've come home. Mm. Have you ever tried gouache or watercolours? Are you interested in those at all? I'm interested. I, th I think I'm a bit intimidated <laughs> by, by them. I, I see the beauty of gouache paintings and I just... I feel the way... I guess the way that I paint, it's, it's not precious and I just see these tiny little gouache tubes that... I would use up in half hour or, you know, in the first few minutes of my painting, I would, I would mix it all up into one different colour and then use it and I'd be out of paint. So I'm not particularly precious in a lot of ways and I feel that that's, that's a material that requires a little bit of forward thinking perhaps. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting when you hear about artists that use house paint, you know, and that would be even more freeing. Because, you know, you can just get a tin of it. And... Yeah, the large amounts and you can be quite liberal, I guess, because you're not concerned about the bottom of the tin. Um, I did end up getting... I was using a lot of white, so I, I did get some white house paint because when I ran out of white in Exmouth in Western Australia, there's no art shops. There was not many shops at all. So I went to the home store and and said, can I have some paint? And they said, oh, we've got house paint in, indoor or outdoor. And I said, oh, I'm not sure. <laughs> so I did actually end up using a little bit of house paint with, with my white. Um, oh, how did that work out? Um, I don't think there's, there's been a problem archivally. I think the house paint definitely works, but I was very liberal with how much I was able to use. So it was probably, beneficial. Yeah, that's so interesting. And also, you know what I was wondering about, you know how you were saying with those night paintings that it was just too hard to paint during the day because of the heat and everything. So what would you do during the day on those days? Anything and everything. Um, reading and drawing or journaling, um, doing small sketches or small paintings. Um, if we were lucky enough to be camping near water, we'd lie by the water hole and cool off 
and you know join the birds and the lizards and everything else that's trying to cool off and it was a huge focus around the end of the day I guess something to do was to go and get some, you know prepare firewood or prepare dinner you know it just it takes you back to the basics so your day ends up being so full of not much <laughs> but such a mentally busy there's so just there's so many things to occupy yourself even going for a walk or you know we ended up whittling some utensils out of timber <laughs> just carving with the tim some timber we found on the ground and yeah you you give yourself tasks you create little things for yourself or we had a chess board and we played a lot of chess <laughs> What's it like travelling with your partner and sort of being just the two of you for so long for those extended periods? Oh, I love love it. It's incredible. It, I mean, everyone's human and no, no one's perfect, but it's just there was there's no one else I would have travelled with and had enjoyed every single day. It's it's a great experience. And, and um, I often ask my guests what, you know, I mean, it's different for you because you're out, often out in the open. Um, you've got an open studio in the outdoors. But do you have a routine if it's not one of those really hot days? Um, would you like to start at a certain time of day and have a routine as to how you'd get started? Oh, I, I'm not sure if there's a routine. I mean, every day I like to wake up and do some form of mind clearing and body movement so I really enjoy doing yoga in the mornings and then if there's coffee I won't say no <laughs> generally there's no coffee um, when we are moving through different areas so it's um, a cup of tea and then as soon as I set up I get a canvas out if it's a fresh canvas or if it's something I've been working on I just get stuck into it um, I'm not sure if there's a specific process it is for me. I just enjoy setting up and then painting. Generally, I've already been lying in bed the night before thinking about painting or wake up and I think about painting. So it's, it's something that I I've physically need to start doing. So you don't get distracted easily or procrastinate? Oh, <laughs> I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I'm quite easily distracted, but I feel for me in the environment and this lifestyle I have been living, the distractions around me are all very much part of the paintings themselves. So, for example, there was the one of the last camps on our way home after um, COVID had shut everything down. We were camping and then there was, these kookaburras it started brawling basically and I was I was painting and then all of a sudden I was just watching these kookaburras for probably half an hour there's this interaction of these kookaburras these two kookaburras were fighting and and then all these other kookaburras were following them around different areas of the camp and then all of a sudden one kookaburra was hanging from the other kookaburra's beak off a branch and just hanging there and it's like they were just interlocked with their beaks I could have watched that all day but it is all it all comes back into my paintings possibly as a, a literal shape or an object or it's something I'm thinking of while I'm creating a color or I'm making a mark so I take it you don't get tempted just getting distracted with social media. Um, I mean, what sort of internet connections do you have out there? The best time is when there's no reception. The best is, um, you know, my family and my partner's family probably don't love it so much when we don't answer the phone calls <laughs> or <laughs> we are out of contact for an extended period. But when there's there's no reception, it's such these days. It's such a go-to to pick up your phone and and check emails, messages, social media. It's automatic. You don't even have to think about it. So you wake up and you go onto your phone for a multitude of reasons. 
But when you're in the landscape and there's no reception, it's not possible. It's something that just doesn't happen. And you stop thinking about it. You stop going to go and pick up your phone and press the home screen and flick it up and go to emails or go to Instagram. So, yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoy not having reception because I think with today's society, it's just innate that we live through social media. I, I don't want to say that in a negative term because then there's moments like this that we're experiencing, this COVID-19 catastrophe and we're so lucky to be able to still stay connected through these devices we've all learnt to use and we're, we're still able to be connected to, to some degree, I guess. Yeah, and I think, as you say, it's almost irresistible when you have a smartphone to check it because, you know, just because it comes out of habit. And you almost have to be in a situation where it's taken away from you forcibly, like in your situation where you have no access to it that you're liberated. Yeah, I, I guess it's not something I want to focus my life around. But in, again, in saying that, there's, there's a lot of opportunities that I have been open to because of social media. And as an artist, it's, it's an incredibly visual platform and you can reach so many people immediately that it does have its benefits. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose that's how I discovered you in a way. You know, it's funny because... Even if on Instagram you see someone referred to but they don't have their own page, it sort of, it sort of stops there. Yeah, so you've got, to be, you've got to really be prepared to go that extra mile to search on Google or something to find out more about them. Um, and sometimes that extra step might stop someone, you know what I mean? Exactly. And well, that was a huge, not real struggle, but it was a challenge for me to promote and be such a presence online I have to think about using social media as a business tool and it is a great tool but it's not easy for me to put myself out there in that in that way but I, I feel there's a great balance that you can utilize these I mean you can't deny the progress of society and technologies you can't avoid it so you're saying if you're not on Instagram or social media then it's you're not very accessible and today's society wants immediacy. We want to be able to get information or, you know, the, the visual information as well in the creative world. Yeah. So th I think there's a, there's a good balance within everything. But to have that balance with not being obsessed with your phone or social media or even checking emails or, you know, you can't be too much business. You've definitely, I find as a creative, you've got to be an incredible amount of doing and you can't be doing when you're flicking through Instagram pages. Now, I mean, even though we've got uh, the coronavirus, you know, changing our lives totally, uh, you have got still got things that are coming up this year, um, even though I think a couple of things are, are sort of unclear, but I do know that you have an online show, solo show with Edwina Corlett in Brisbane, which is very exciting. Um, and I think that's in August, isn't it? Yeah, so the whole world catastrophe that's happening has changed my life completely and also the way the art world has to go about things you know galleries have closed their doors and so Edwina approached me to see if I was available and willing to work on a body of works for um, August this year as an online exhibition um, I guess it's an opportunity making the most out of it, what we've got and I've constantly got artworks and ideas coming so I, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And it's, it's nice to have that, not a deadline, but it's nice to have something to work towards as an artist. I'm sure other artists would understand that. It's, it's important to have that purpose and that next thing to work towards. So 
Yeah, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to it. Well, I know that you also had periods of time lined up in Broken Hill Regional Gallery and also in Alice Springs. So hopefully that'll come through somehow at some point. And thank you so much for joining me today, Emily, especially going to so much trouble um, being in the bush with that beautiful backdrop. It's, it's absolutely amazing. And good luck with everything that's coming up. Uh, thank you so much, Maria. It's been a pleasure. It's been lovely to share a little bit of my recent life and my journey. What a wonderful artist. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Emily Arneson. As I mentioned, I'll be getting a short video on my YouTube channel soon, so watch out for that. And there are lots of other videos there, so if you haven't checked it out yet, just Google Talking with Painters YouTube and it'll take you right there. You can subscribe to that channel for free, and of course you can subscribe to the podcast for free through any of the ways that you listen to the show. Talking with Painters is also on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and you can follow the show there. Those of you who are on Instagram um, will know that I've been doing a Saturday afternoon show for the last few weeks at 4 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time, which is now alternating between an art quiz one week and a catch-up with a podcast guest the next. So coming up on the 9th of May, the quiz will be back, and then the following Saturday, I'll be catching up with the fabulous Vanessa Stockard, who I interviewed in episode. 32. If you're enjoying the podcast, it'd be great if you could rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't done that already, uh, it's just the best way to get the word out about the show. Or even just tell a friend that you think might be interested. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking with Painters. I guess I somehow am living out elements of this childhood dream of being able to witness those really personal moments of nature and then take them through my experience and recreate them and and share them with people if they're interested that is so, and then share them and say look look at this incredible phenomenon really <laughs>